It's great to be with you today. I'm Pastor Brian, one of the teaching pastors, and today we're starting a new series. It's, uh, it's on the seven miracles in the book of John. More on that in a second. But first, let me just encourage you, this is a great time to join a small group. Uh, if you have never been in a small group before, you don't, you, maybe you've thought about joining one, but you've been intimidated, or maybe you've, it's been a long time since you've been in one, or maybe you've just never even tried one before. We encourage you to join a small group here at our Logan campus. The best way to find out, the best way to get a listing of all the small groups available throughout the week um, is to text Alpine Groups to 97,000. So you see that up on the screen. So if you do that right now, it'll, it'll send you a link to the, to the small group page, and you'll be able to check that out, and you'll be able to uh, find one that really meets your schedule or or maybe just find a group that you look like it looks like you would enjoy. So we encourage you to do that. We use, we encourage uh, kind of small group. We encourage our small groups to sort of open up their small groups at a couple times during the year, and this is one of those. So they're expecting a bunch of new people. They will make it super comfortable for you. I promise it's not going to be awkward if you're like, what is this small group about? It's just people coming together like you. They they will have heard the sermon just like you did, and then they unpack it together. In a group, I don't know about you, but when I sit here and listen to a message, um, a lot of times I'm like, "Oh man, I want to dig deeper on that point," or "Man, I'd love to talk about that that point right there." Well, that's what small groups really help you to do. So check out a small group and text uh, Alpine Groups to 97,000 to do that. All right, so today we're starting a brand new seven-week series, and it is called "That You May Believe." So it's going to be we're going to be examining the seven miracles in the gospel. Of John. Now, I don't know if you know the Bible. Some of you maybe are new to the Bible, but the Bible is split up into two major sections. The first section is the Old Testament. That's the big part. That's the thick part. If you have a hard time sleeping at night, like Leviticus, start reading from Leviticus. That's a great one. It's the insomnia cure. But there's so much great stuff in the Old Testament. And then the New Testament is the, the back half of the Bible, and that's the smaller part. And uh, that starts with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are called the four Gospels. Those are the stories about Jesus, what he did, what he taught, um, his death and resurrection. So we read that in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, the first three, Matthew, Mark, Luke, are called the synoptic Gospels. And what that means is they're all written from the same perspective. And so, Matt, if you've ever read the Bible before, if you've ever maybe started with the New Testament, you're probably like, man, I feel like I read that story again. Because if you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, one right after the other, there's going to be a lot of repetition. That's not a bad thing, but you'll notice a lot of repetition. John, the third or the fourth gospel, is actually different from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It comes from John, the apostle, the beloved apostle of Jesus. Um, he gave himself that nickname. No, really, like you should read the Gospel of John. It's awesome because he's like, and, and, then, and then Jesus leaned over to, the, to John, the, the disciple that he loved. John's the one who wrote those words. I just think that's really cool. And so I think that just shows we all just have a little bit of, um, you know, emotional maturity that we're working through in our own lives. We all want to be hugged, right? Everybody wants a hug. So the Gospel of John is what we're going to be studying in the next seven weeks and what we're going to be doing in this series is we're going to look at the seven miracles that John lists in his gospel. Only seven. Now, if you read the synoptic gospels, there are more miracles. But John picked out seven miracles to include in his gospel. 
And that's what we're going to be studying. Each week, we're going to study the next miracle that John lists out. But I want to actually start by going to the end of the Gospel of John to read these words because I think it's a good summary for, and you'll see why we came up with the title that you may believe. It says this in John chapter 20, verse 30. It says that Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. Okay, so this is John writing after he recorded the seven that Jesus did perform. And he's saying here that he performed so many others in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But then he says this in verse 31. But these are written, the seven we're going to look at in this series, that you may believe. And that's where we took our title from. These are written that you may believe two things. Here's what, here's what we want to encourage you to believe, just like John is saying. Number one, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. You're going you're gonna to understand what that means over these seven weeks. But number one, we want you to believe that Jesus is who the Bible says he is. That's why John wrote these miracles down. Number two, that by believing you may have life in his name. You know that God doesn't want you to just believe some intellectual truth. He actually wants it to impact your life. And so John wrote these miracles down. John recorded, he, of all the miracles, he picked out these seven miracles. John knew all of them because he was there. But these are the seven that he included in his gospel. And he, he picked these out for a reason. And we're going dis- to explore and discover that reason over these next seven weeks. And I hope that you, wherever you are in your relationship with God, maybe some of you have been longtime Christians. You're going to learn some things this, this in these seven weeks, but some of you maybe are brand new. Maybe you're new here to Alpine, and uh, maybe you don't come here regularly. Maybe you've just been investigating. You've been seeking God out, and you're giving him a shot. You're giving him a chance. This is a great time to be here, because we're going to unpack these seven miracles and see what John wants us to see. And And I'll tell you, he already says it right here. He wants us to believe in Jesus, who's the Messiah, and he wants that belief to change your life. He wants that belief to make your life different. And that's actually really what we're going to be talking about in this very first miracle. So let's get into, uh, let's just kind of get into an overview real quick. We're going to talk about when Jesus turned water into wine. And uh, spoiler alert, here's what we're going to learn. That this first miracle shows us that Jesus has come to offer a life of joy, freed from the old rules of religion. Now I want everybody to think right now. What do you think, what comes to mind when you hear that phrase, old rules of religion? Everyone has an idea of what the rules are. Everyone does. Everyone has a sense. Everyone has, whether it's from your upbringing, whether it was from a church or a religious person or, or from your parents or from, from your teachers at school, everybody has a sense for right and wrong. Everybody has a sense for what the rules are. And I want you to think right now, before we even get into this, because you're going to see what, what Jesus is going to say about all this in just a second in his miracle. But before we even get into it, I want you to think about what those rules are in your mind. What are your rules? What's your checklist? I got to do this. I got to do that. If I don't do this, God won't accept me. If I don't do that, then I'm not, then I'm not worthy to be in God's presence. I'm not, like, I'm not good enough for him. What are the rules in your mind By the way, that's a great thing to talk about in small groups, because I'm not going to let you answer that right now. This is too big of a group. But think about what the rules are. I'll tell you what mine are, or what mine were growing up. I grew up in a great church. It was a really good, solid Christian church, a big church. But I would say, looking back, it was a little bit legalistic. 
Now, when I say the word legalistic, what I mean by that is that it was, it was a little bit more about keeping the rules than it was about the reason behind the rules. Like, and this is what can happen sometimes in religion. And this can happen even at Alpine. Alpine's, what, 18 years old this year, I think? Um, so Alpine is 19 years old this year, this summer. So Alpine is, is uh, just about done with its teenage years, right? So as a church, you know, in the early days of our church, it's just, you know, we're not really bogged down with rules. We're not really bogged down with our list of things we do. But let's be honest, the older we get as a church, the more crusty we're going to get. The more, the more it's going to be about, well, that's not how we do things, right? I mean, we, if you think about it, we have our own liturgy, right? Like we do, I don't know if you've noticed this, if, you've got, if you go to Alpine, you've, you notice we do one song, then we do announcements, and then what do we do? Two songs, right? And then we do a message, and then we usually finish with a song. Well, what if we didn't finish with a song? Some of you be like, that, that doesn't feel right, you know? Are we Christians anymore? <laughs> right? So we have our own liturgy, we have our own, now we're like, oh, come on, it's, it's, it's relaxed, it's not that big of a deal. But what happens, I think, in religion is sometimes you, you have these rules and you're like, well, that's how it has to be. And what, what can happen is you get so focused on the rules that you forget about the point behind the rules. And every religion can do this. Every family can do this. Any individual can do this. We can get so caught up into the way things should be that we're so focused on the stuff itself, the list, and we, we actually miss the point behind the list. So in my church growing up, years ago, I, I kind of got, nobody said this, this wasn't written down somewhere, but I kind of got the idea that you don't drink or smoke or chew or go with girls who do. And so that was kind of our thing. You don't drink, smoke, or chew or go with girls who do. And we were good with that. It seemed right. And I remember that, you know, we the Bible teaches you don't, have premarital sex, but in my church, I thought it was because it could lead to dancing. <laughs> and so, that was really funnier than how you guys all laughed. That, it's going to hit you a little bit later. That's going to hit you, and you're going to just burst out in laughter. So we had our own rules, and I was a rule follower. I, I really did. I followed the rules, and I wanted, to, I, wanted to, I wanted to do what was right. I wanted to be obedient, and some of you maybe are here today and you say, yeah, that's me, I'm a rule follower. I, just tell me the rules, and I want to know what the rules are, and I want to follow those rules. Well, that's what we're going to see here in this story, in the first miracle of Jesus. It's a miracle. It, it kinda, it, it's shocking that this is the first miracle of Jesus, because you'd think if John's only going to pick seven miracles out, that he's going to pick like the seven best, most impressive, like blow, blow your mind kind of miracles. But this first miracle wasn't like he, it's not him walking on water, it's not him feeding 5,000, he doesn't heal some person who was deathly ill. He does like a really weird, almost like a miracle of convenience. He turned water into wine, which my church growing up probably wouldn't, would have preferred that he turned wine into water, right? Because we weren't supposed to drink. But Jesus did it for a reason. So here's the first thing I want you to understand. Well, before we get into this, actually, before, before I get into that first point, I want to read the first part of this. In John chapter 2, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. John 2, it says this. The next day, there was a 
wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. And Jesus' mom was partying with him. And Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities. So Jesus' mother came and told him, they have no more wine. Now she must have said it in a, there must have been something in her face, in her body language, because clearly Jesus thought that his mom was telling him he should do something about it. It wasn't just, hey, just FYI, Jesus, they have no more wine. Because Jesus' response was, dear woman, that's not our problem. I can relate to that, that, that response right there. Some of you need to write that verse down. That's going to be your life. Some of you husbands, that's going to be your life verse. John chapter 2, verse 4. Go ahead and write it, write it down. Dear woman, that's not our problem. My favorite verse. And Jesus said this, my time has not yet come. So Jesus clearly understood that, that Mary was saying, okay, let's go. Let's do something about this. And Jesus said, my time hasn't come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. So we see here, and we're going to move on here to this first point. I want to, as we unpack this together, I want you to think about this. I think that Mary's response here is telling us that we have to come to Jesus on his terms. This is what Mary's doing. Some of us have this picture of Jesus. Some of us have this idea of God that he's a cosmic vending machine. Right? That when we come to him, we say, here's what I want. He's going to give us everything we want right at the moment that we want it. That that's our, that's our picture of God. That's our understanding of God. That's how, that's, that's how I call this the American Jesus. American Jesus is, I want God my way. Right? I want him my way. I think this is, this is something in our culture we really sometimes can get sideways on. We're so used to, you know, pulling up to a drive-thru and you could, I mean, we get, we get what we want when we want it, just like that. And so I, it's probably not surprising that that's how we approach faith, that's how we approach religion, that's how we approach God. And we see that Mary's doing that as well. Now a little background on this, the Jewish culture was what we would call a shame culture. So some of you are like, when, you read the, when, when I read those first verses, you're like, I don't, I don't get it. I don't really get what the problem is. So the, so the wine runs out. Who cares, right? Well, in their culture, if, if, if you were the groom and you were throwing a party, you had a social obligation to keep the wine flowing. And if the wine ran out, it would be a huge embarrassment. Like, it, it would be something that, you would, that they would talk about for years afterward. And so, this was something that, uh, that Mary thought at this point. She's like, well, it seems like maybe, Jesus, it's time for you to kind of get in the game here, right? Mary, Jesus is about 30 years old at this point, and he, up until this point, hadn't really done anything with his life. You have to understand the only person who really kind of understood who Jesus was and what he came for in this story was Mary. And Mary had been waiting patiently for three decades for Jesus to get in the game. 
I mean, we, you remember the whole thing with Christmas and the angels came to Mary and said this awesome thing and, and you're going to be, you know, I mean, Mary, it was a virgin birth and Mary's like, this, is, this kid is special. Every mom thinks their kid is special, but Mary really thought that Jesus was special because he was. And then could you imagine just, you know, raising him and, and then junior high and high school and he went to college and then grad school and then, not really, but, and then he, he's like a, he's a carpenter. And, he, and for three decades, he hasn't done anything special. And Mary had this expectation of Jesus that he was supposed to do something special. Because the angel said so. And so she's, she has this picture of Jesus, just like you have a picture of Jesus. She has this view of Jesus, of what he's supposed to do. And, and maybe this is just her being impatient here when she says this. Let's look at the text again. When she says, they have no more wine, like subtext, let's do something, Jesus. It's time, all right? It's, you, we've waited long enough. Let's get, let's get moving with saving the world. And interestingly, Jesus said, that's not our problem. My time hasn't come. But then her response is what I want you to key, on, key in on. Her response is a response of faith. She turns to the servants, and I, don't, I can't really tell if this is like her being passive-aggressive, but she says, do whatever he tells you to the servants. But Jesus just said, my time hasn't come. And Mary, Mary said, okay. But to the servants, she said, wait till you see what he can do. Do what he tells you. And I think that Mary believes that Jesus has the power to act in the way that he sees best. I think this is a great picture for how we should approach Jesus, that we should come to him. Yes, we should come to him with, with our real needs and our real expectations. He doesn't want us to f- be fake with him. We should come to him, and, but we should also rest, respect that he is God and that we should come to him on his terms, not on our terms. So she made her request known to him. And then after she did that, she just showed that she trusted his way and his timing. And so he performs this first miracle. Here's the rest of the story. It says in verse 6, standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. And when the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. And so the servants followed his instructions, and when the masters of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, and there's the big reveal. There's his miracle. The water had been turned to wine. Not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over, and he said this, a host always serves the best wine first, and then when everyone's wasted, my translation, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. And this miraculous sign at Canaan in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory. What an interesting first miracle. It's like a magic trick, right? It's almost like a a miracle of convenience. Like why would this be the first one? Why would he do this? 
A little background for this, because I think we don't really always understand when we read stories like this, the cultural implications here. Those stone water jars were actually ceremonial, and what that means is, is they were, sorry, I've, I think we've got a little bit of a delay here. Can you just get me on the stone water jars? Here's a, here's a picture of those st- stone water jars. In Jewish, if you were a Jewish person back then, you would, um, you would have come to this wedding, and there was kind of an obligation that you would go and you would, you would purify yourself, you would wash your hands. There was like what, maybe what we would call holy water in the stone water jars, and that holy water was something that you, it's just what you did. You were supposed to wash your hands, and it was part of your obligation to the God that you understood. It was something that you did, it was something your dad did, it was something your granddad did and your great-granddad did. I mean, this, this, is a, this was one of their checkbox rituals, right? Not, probably not something we all would understand at all. Again, you've got your own list. I encourage you to keep that in mind. That's the list we think of. Well, this was their list. Their list was those are ceremonial, ceremonially clean. Those are really important because they represent religion. They represent what we're supposed to be doing. What Jesus did when he turned, he put water in there. First of all, he didn't have to do it in those jars. Why didn't he just do it in the old wine jars? Those were probably still there. Why didn't he just speak new ones into existence? That would have been even cooler. He could have done whatever, he could have just had wine falling from heaven, right? Like the manna story. He could have done it however he wanted to. He did this on purpose. Because when he told them to fill those jars with water, 20 to 30 gallons each, that's a lot of wine, first of all. When he did that and they filled it with water and then he turned that into wine, he actually defiled those previously clean water jars. He defiled them religiously. They were useless now. That would have been incredibly offensive to a proper Jewish religious person. And that's exactly what Jesus did. And he didn't do it and then say, oops, oh shoot, man, I didn't mean to do that. Didn't think that one through. No, he did it as his first miracle. And John didn't hide it either. John listed it as the first miracle. And there's a reason for it. And here's what the reason is. Jesus will do more than we can imagine. When Jesus filled those jars with wine, he was shocking the world about his true mission. See, most people in Jesus' day, most people were expecting a religious leader to reinforce the religious rules. And Jesus actually did the opposite. And he did it to catch our attention. He did it to blow our minds. He did it to open our eyes to the reason that he came. He did it to change the way we imagine God is supposed to be and to change the way that God is supposed to act. He did it to teach us, I think, a theological lesson, really. This first miracle really isn't about his power so much. We're going to see that next week. This first miracle is about his purpose. And his purpose... His true mission in the world was to bring us joy. See, if you're a Jewish person, you would have understood wine to represent joy. 
That's not what I understood growing up as a Christian. I, gr- I grew up understanding wine as representing, you know, sinfulness or something like that. But Jewish people said, no, it's joy. In fact, in the, one of the psalms, psalmists wrote it like this. He says, God gives us wine to gladden the heart of men. When I read that as a young person, I thought, how does grape juice gladden my heart? I don't understand that. But this is what wine represented to them, and this is exactly what Jesus knew. Jesus performed his first miracle at a party, everybody, at a party. Moses performed his first miracle. Do you remember what that was back in the Old Testament when he came to Pharaoh and he said, as the voice of God, he said, let my people go, and then he turned the water in the Nile into blood. And when he turned water into blood, blood represents judgment. Jesus turned water into wine because wine represents joy. And Jesus did it to show us what he really came for. He did it for those of you who are here who have this picture of God, maybe like the Jewish people did 2,000 years ago. They have this picture of God as this kind of like this cosmic killjoy. Like he just cares about the rules. And that's what religion is. It's just all about the rules. And here is the most famous religious person in history who comes in and he sends a totally different message and he breaks the rules. And I love this passage later in John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus said it like this. This is is where we understand what his real mission is. In in John 10, 10, he says, the thief has come and I don't have control of this, so I'll let you advance that. He says the thief has come. His purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus says this, my purpose is to give people a rich and satisfying life. This is one of my favorite verses. And I think John had this in mind when he included this first miracle. Jesus' purpose was to give us a rich and satisfying life. Jesus wants to bring joy into your life. He doesn't want to bring judgment into your life. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand that. That doesn't mean that the rules are terrible. That doesn't mean the rules are bad. Jesus says in another gospel, in Matthew, he says, don't think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. He said, I didn't come to abolish it. I came to fulfill it. In other words, Jesus is saying everything in the Old Testament, everything you read in the Old Testament was leading to me in the New Testament. And the point isn't the rules. The rules were pointing to something else and the thing the rules were pointing to was life that we can have in Jesus Christ, rich, satisfying life. That's what Jesus came to bring us. That's what this first miracle represents. Here's the last thing I want you to understand today. Jesus was telling the world in this first miracle that he was doing something new. And I want you to personalize that for yourself. He's doing something new for you. Some of you are here today and you still have this wrong picture of Jesus. And, I, and that's why I love this first miracle because I want it to give you the right picture of Jesus. That's what John wants. Jesus was revealing that the way to God goes through him and is by faith. Religion, like if you were to summarize what religion teaches, typically, tip most religions, most religions teach something like this, some form of this argument Keep this list of rules, and you'll get to God. That was a, that's a summary of what the Jewish people got out of the Old Testament. Keep this list of rules, 
and you'll get to God. And Jesus comes into a, to a culture that was more than 19 years old like our church is. It was a culture that was thousands of years old. And they had this rich history, this rich tradition. And so much of it is, all of it is good. It's all good. It is so good. It is, it is so meaningful. It is so instructive. But they got the wrong idea. And they made it about the rules. They made it, they, they, it's like they elevated the rules and the checklist to the place of God. It was like that's the thing that they were worshiping. That's the thing that they were focused on. And being focused on that, they missed the real point behind all of it. And again, I'm not trying to point fingers at the Jewish people because 2,000 years ago, here we are today, probably we can't relate to ceremonial jars and we can't relate to the Jewish stuff, but I think we can all relate to thinking that rules will save us. I think we can all relate to this idea. I think it's ingrained in us as human beings. We can all relate to this idea that, that says, if I don't keep this checklist, if I don't earn my own way, then I'm never going to be right with God. And I want you to understand, that is a lie. That is a lie. Here's what Paul said the truth is. Romans chapter 3, verse 22. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Do you see that? It doesn't say we're made right with God by keeping a checklist of rules. It says we're made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are, no matter what we've done. If you're here today and you've, you've believed a lie that says, I have failed so much in my life, there's no way I can be made right with God. I, I want you to write this verse down. Because it's speaking to you. This, is tr- this verse is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And look at what it says in verse 21. It says, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. And that's why Jesus turned water into wine and he used ceremonial jars for the miracle. Because he wanted to show them, he wanted to shock them into understanding this truth. Look, guys, you can't be made right with God by keeping rules. You can only be made right with God by trusting in me, Jesus says, in my way, in my timing. And that's the message that we get from this first miracle. And so the story ends with this. It says in verse 11, this miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee It was the first time Jesus revealed his glory. And I love what it says next. And the disciples believed in him. This was the first miracle that they got to witness. And you're going to see the others that they're going to witness later on in this series. But this is the first miracle that they witnessed. And they're like, this guy is sent from God. I love that verse where it says that this is the first time Jesus revealed his glory. What that means is, This is the first time that that he showed them who he really was. He's 30 years old, and finally he showed them who he really was. And every miracle reveals a little bit more about his identity and his purpose and his nature. And every miracle is recorded in here that we may believe, just like the disciples did. So if you're here today, I just want to ask you, do you believe in this Jesus Or do you believe in some other Jesus? Do you believe in some other God that you've fashioned? 
Do you believe in the Jesus who actually wants to come and bring you joy, not judgment? The Jesus who wants to give you a rich and satisfying life? This is the Jesus of the Gospels. Let's bow and pray together today. And I want to just, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to just give you an opportunity this morning. I think this is, it's so fitting with this message. It's so simple. It's so basic. But I want to give you an opportunity with everybody's heads bowed and everybody's eyes closed that if you've never responded to this Jesus before, if you've never put your trust, your faith in this Jesus, the Jesus who wants to bring you joy, not judgment, I want to just give you an opportunity to do that, to do that today. If that's you today, I just want you to just quietly slip up your hand. Just between you and me and God, I just want you to slip up your hand if you want to respond to Jesus and you want to come to this Jesus today. You can slip up your hand and and you can just put it right back down. Thank you for raising your hands. And I want you to pray this prayer with me. In fact, I encourage everyone to pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I praise you for your salvation and I thank you for setting me free. Thank you for coming to the world to die for sinners, and I am one of them. And today, Lord God, just like the disciples believed in you, today I believe in you. And I receive your salvation today. Thank you for your free gift. And God, I pray that you would show me what life can be like with you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.